Welcome to Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective podcast, where we meet experts from all walks of life to learn their intrinsic motivation so that they can share it with the world. What do we have in store today? Stay tuned to find out more. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everybody out there in podcast land. You are tuned to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza. And I am David. And today, I think our audience is really going to enjoy speaking to this gentleman. We're going to talk about overcoming cycles of hurt and pain. Now, when that's said, they're like, okay, well, Hamza, what's different from the other people that we talk about that kind of cover some of that in their uh, intrinsic motivation? Well, this guy is a little bit younger. And what we've found with other people that we've spoken with they run into these cycles of hurt and pain or these spiritual four-by-fours in their mid to late 30s or even later. And our, our guest today is a lot younger than that. He's the author of There is a Purpose in Pain and There is Pain in Purpose. He's going to talk about his life experiences and how that lit that fire into him and why we wanted to reach out to him to even have him on our podcast. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome from Greenville, South Carolina, Xavier Jones, welcome to the podcast, Xavier. Thank you, sir. Thank you guys so much, man. I'm very excited to be here. This is actually my first podcast guest experience, so I'm I'm very excited. Oh, all right. Oh, we love it. We love it. Yes, welcome yes, to the sir. homies. Welcome yes, to sir. the homies. And <laughs> thank you. Yes. Uh, one thing I, I must say before we get started is uh, just in our brief interchange before recording. I, I actually like your outlook, and so being from Greenville, I had to ask because uh, the rest of the country was kind of poking holes into our president about feeding the Clemson Tigers who won the football championship, and, and they usually can get this on their way home from practice or in the cafeteria, and they go to the White House and have fast food, and I loved your answer to it. I, I'd like to get, I'd like for you to share that with our audience. Definitely, yeah. It's been all over, you know, social media, Facebook. So uh, I'm, I'm like this, you know, I, I eat it quite a bit. But, uh, you know, any chance to go to the White House, or if you get a chance to go to the White House, that's just it's pretty awesome to me. So whether you're eating McDonald's or lobster and steak, as long as you're doing it in the White House, it's pretty cool. But uh, how's my asking the question as far as what about the cold fries? I'm like, no, nah, man, the, the fries have to be warm <laughs> no matter where you are. they got to be at least warm. <laughs> <laughs> So it's cool to have a, a big, bigger picture, right? But right. we have limits. <laughs> so we have yeah. limits. So no, the limits are the cold fries. Not acceptable. Cold fries. Not acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, cool. Cool. That's so. Yeah. What were you going to say, David? I said that's where we draw the line. Cold fries. You, you better believe it. Yes, sir. <laughs> so let me ask you. Uh, some people ask us. From time to time, are we always to subbeat? And, you know, what about Monday mornings or if it's raining outside or if it's cold? You know, fill in the blank. And you have uh, what I call a pretty high uh, emotional IQ, a, hu a huge EQ. Um, and people wow, are usually known by their emotional quotient outside of their intelligence because they may not have the social wherewithal to, you know, have interchange with people and bond with people that may not be like them. And I think some of your experiences may have, have shaped that. So I'd like for you to talk a little bit about yourself and then what made you 
uh, write a book at such a young age because you're a minister, your husband, father, speaker, and now you're out doing podcasts promoting your book. That's a lot for for 24 years on this earth. So give us some perspective as to how you were able to get to this point in overcoming cycles of hurt and pain. Definitely. Um, well, as you stated, I'm 24 years old. I'm a uh, husband, father, minister, uh, but at the end of the day, you know, I always say amongst all of that, the one thing that I am is human, and I think the, the one thing, uh, of course, that we all have in common is that we're human, And but the other thing is definitely the experiences that we go through. Uh, you know, my book entails that I don't want to tell too much. I mean, it's a short read, but, you know, even at a, at a young age, I grew up in the church. Uh, my my father was actually uh, my pastor, my home, my home church's pastor. He was like his right-hand man, such as, you know, what the people in the church call a uh, a, a armor bearer, so to speak. Um, and my mother, she worked all the time in the church, so we were always in the church. But uh, at a young age, I was actually sexually abused growing up in the church. And for many years I had to uh, kind of hide that because at the end of the day, um, <laughs> what little boy, you know, and, and, and a boy's mind is just like, well, oh, man, something's wrong with me because, of course, typically the predator is much bigger or, you know, they have some kind of mind control over the, over the victim, so it's not much that you can do. Um, and then even with, you know, growing up with certain things that were seeds that were planted in my life, so to speak, from that experience, things that I had to struggle with and addictions that I had to struggle with because of that being exposed to such a uh, experience at a young age, um, then losing my mother at 17 years old as a senior in high school. And so I found myself uh, in, my, in my late teenage years going on to my early 20s, uh, which I, I guess I still am in my early 20s, constantly asking questions as to uh, why am I feeling like this. And at, some, at one point, I never doubted God's existence, but I was so angry because, you know, growing up in the church, a lot of people have to know the connotation that uh, God is just kind of like a DJ or it's, it's a fairy tale, that everything is always going to be good. And so I grew up, you know, believing that. But everything from that point backwards was just pretty much all bad. My mom was a single mother. Uh, my father, um, he had some things that he had to deal with uh, in his life because he didn't have a father. So I never had an example of what a man should be. But on top of that, dealing with all the pain and everything. And so I remember one night in 2014, it just all came to a head. I didn't care about life. I didn't care about my life. And I just found myself crying, and I asked the question, why? And I heard, uh, I, I feel like I heard God speak to me and say, uh, everything, which is why I got the title of my book, every pain that you go through is for a purpose, but there's purpose in your pain as well. And so uh, through that through that experience and through that exchange, uh, I've from that point on I lived my life meeting people and trying to explain to those who are hurting that there is purpose in it. You just have to find the purpose. Um, and I feel like not only my book, but as of last year right now, I currently work at a boys' shelter. And, you know, I think I found my purpose here because there's 11 boys right now where I'm working, and each of their story has something that matches with mine. And so uh, I realized that everything that I was going through up to that point, it led me here. Uh, and so a lot of people, they don't, have that, they don't have that knowledge, and that's why I wrote the book that there's purpose and pain, but there's also pain in your purpose to let people know that everything that you go through is indeed for a purpose that you may not find out until later on in life. 
Yeah, I would agree. Um, one of our first podcasts, we talk about Godwinks. And so we're of the school of thought that there are no accidents. And it's hard to kind of, it, it sounds flippant to each individual that hears it. You know, if you're in good spirits and the sun's shining and you just got a new car and won a million dollars, you're like, yeah, of course. But if it right. doesn't go that way, you're like, what do you mean there's no accidents? So um, it, it's good to hear your story and how you're actually breaking that, the, uh, that, the chain of, of um, the societal chain, like you're saying, and even family chain, um, what you were saying with your father, because, you know, I, and I haven't seen it, but I'm sure you've been asked about the whole R. Kelly thing. And, and one thing that right. stands out is that he was abused as a child, and so exactly. he started abusing. And so there's a saying, or I want to get your opinion on the saying that hurt people hurt people. Um. I, I could agree with that. Um, I think hurt people hurt people if that person who's hurt doesn't have a chance to express themselves. And it's very alarming uh, the amount of people who are hurting, but they don't know how to express themselves. They think maybe possibly get help from a counselor or anything of that nature makes them, especially from a man's point of view, I can only speak from a man's point of view, that it makes them less than a man. But, I, you know, I, I can definitely agree to a, a certain extent. That's why it's funny. I was watching a, um, a documentary about killer elephants, and I, I'm just weird like that. But one thing that stuck out to me was um, in this experiment, they took two male uh, bull elephants away from their habitat. And <clears throat> typically, if you keep them in their natural habitat, the, male, the male's existence or the older dominant male elephant um, while, they're, while the younger elephant is going through the must season, I, I think, yeah, the musting season, that's season, excuse me, that's pretty much where they're going through puberty as far as, in, as equal, equal to their human uh, puberty. Um, and so they let them know, they, they kind of like play wrestle, but they, the, uh, the older elephant lets them know that I am more dominant. And it's almost like without the male existence, if you flip that to the human side, without the, another positive male role model, uh, for even not just males but even females, um, if they're not in the home or if they're or not even in the home, but if there's not enough positive role models that's keeping the younger generation kind of in check to let them know that, hey, this is wrong or just kind of steering them toward the right direction, uh, then that's when you have a society that's kind of out of order. Um, and that's what happened with the, uh, the elephants. They start killing rhinos um, because they never had that uh, that mentor uh mentee type experience in, in their habitat to let them know that, hey, this is not the right way to go and that I'm more dominant than you, and so you need to listen to me kind of thing. So I could definitely agree with the hurt people hurt people, and it's, it's just a scary thought that there's not a lot of people out there to, you know, recognize the problem and try to correct it. Yeah, the other side is that, and I, I feel that this generation is the first generation that a lot of topics are you were peeling back the onion on a lot of topics that especially for the black American community really kept under wraps or, or didn't talk about it at all in that right. you know first and, and, and it's actually <laughs> the sad part is that it's unraveling like in front of everyone's eyes so and you don't right. you're not really getting a chance to process it because it's as soon as it happens to one person it, it we're going to the next story and it's like can we get more gruesome or not? And the right. example I would use is uh, Bill Cosby. And then, you know, before you can finish processing that, now we have R. Kelly happening. And so my question to you is uh, we're talking about positive role models and we're talking about uh, challenging traditional 
positive role models because we would tend to, and not just we African Americans, but Americans as a whole, would tend to consider an entertainer a positive role model. And on the other side of that, our place of worship as a positive role model or a positive environment. And this was the environment that you actually went through your ordeal. So is this a time to reevaluate our our quote-unquote positive role models in positive environments? I would say so. Um, And the reason being, just as you stated, uh, especially with the celebrities, you only see what they put out there. Um, So that's not kind of all the time. With social media, it makes it easier to see as far as the little things uh, that they do on their Instagram pages and things of that nature, but you're still not getting the essence of who that person is. And even, you know, in the church, when you have the pastor and you have other people of that nature, uh, you only see them once or twice or maybe three times um, out of the week, depending on what's going on. So right now, uh, there, there's a dire need, and I, I see it every day with, you know, where, where I work. There's a dire need for proper mentors and uh, positive role models in the community and in society as a whole uh, because these this generation, is, as you stated, going back to the cycles, it's funny that you mentioned with the R. Kelly and he was abused, and uh, now, you know, with Bill Cosby, everything has been swept under a rug, just the cycle itself because I didn't find out until my mother passed that she was actually sexually abused. So here it wow. is. Here it is again now. You know, I never knew that. I remember when it first came out, and she was very angry. And, of course, any parent would be angry, but this was like now that I, when I look back at it and I see her reaction, it was more of a – it came from a place of, you know, deep hurt, deep hit and hurt. And she tried to tell uh, her story, but it was kind of swept under a rug. So I can only imagine – the 48 years that she had on this earth that she was trying to process this and then it happens to her child. And now, you know, it's it's just happening again. So, and that's another reason what prompted me to write it because a lot of things that kids go through and it it confirmed even more at my, at my place of work uh, at the boys shelter. And just to hear them talk is some of the same things that their parents went through. So who's going to be the person to step in and say, just because that it's been a cycle going on for so long, why isn't anyone, saying anything or throwing the flag because at the end of the day, these are lives, precious lives that, you know, society is chewing, chew, you know, uh, chewing them up and spinning them out. And we see it every day. So uh, it's just that, that cycle that somebody has to stand up and say, hey, enough is enough. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I, I want to think of, because we're a little older than you, so that's why we're happy to have a younger person on. Um, but I, I was I was talking uh, to a younger person yesterday and she's 19 and we were she you know she's always talking about you always you know obviously like younger people say older people always talk about the good old days and so since this is a homies podcast i was talking about some different rap lyrics and in the 80s there was a song i really don't want to talk about these guys or give them too much light but they were very popular and in one of the songs the guy was rapping about picking up his girlfriend which sounds okay, but in the song that you listen to it, he's definitely out of high school. He's graduated, and wow. she's a high school student. And so there was a time where, and I've even made jokes that in, even in high school or college, there was part of the culture that younger girls dated older men. Right. And it wasn't necessarily celebrated, but it was something that wasn't talked about either. 
Right. And I think that's something else that's coming out now um, that people are talking about, and everyone has different opinions because, you know, well, this is what we were used to once upon a time in the 2019 that doesn't fly. Right. Yeah, and it's funny you say that too, but you know, wow, just a couple of hours ago, um, there was I, um, it was I think it was a Biggie song, and of course, you know, Biggie was in his mid twenties when he was at the the height of his career. Um, mm-hmm. And I forget the name of the song, but he there was a lyric that he said that uh, he would make Raven Simone scream, you know, like call out date rape or something of that nature. You know, at the time in the early nineties, Raven Simone was only like six or seven years old. That's right. like on the Cosby Show, and I'm like, oh my goodness, <laughs> I can't believe that that was a lyric that has just just been kind of overlooked. But um, yeah, I think you know, at, at a certain time, there were things that were said and and or done that was, I don't I don't know if it was swept under the rug or maybe people just weren't paying attention. I'm not sure, but definitely in this generation, um, I think The Rock had an interview the other day, and he said this generation is looking for a reason to be offended, which I could agree to a certain extent, but there's a lot of things that I do like about the generation that I'm in and that I grew up in is that um, there's a lot of questions as to why this is happening, and, um, and there's a lot of people blowing horns, but... Um, yeah, I, it's funny you say that because I, I literally just said that a couple hours ago. I think, I, I'm not sure if it was just an old norm. I, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it was definitely definitely some things that were taking place that uh, people are now shedding lights on. So um, it's, it's interesting to see things come to light that's, that's been going on for the past 20, 25 years or so. Yeah, and I think it's, it's you know, even past that time, um, you know, you could say generations, Right. So I think what's really interesting about today is that there isn't like one, you know, generations ago there may have been like one, not one necessarily one leader, but there was people that you could point to. So right. like if it was a Martin Luther King or someone else, you're like, well, this, well, how do you feel about this and how do you feel about that subject matter? And today that doesn't really exist. There, you know, there's some people that may, um, they're starting to grow their different groups, but right. there's not like... I think that's the other fear as well. I want to get your opinion on that because you can say, well, what's the way, what's the best path forward? Should boys and should boys wear suits and girls wear gowns? Uh, because there was a time where that was a, an argument. It was saying right. that uh, different communities were saying, well, uh, if these girls aren't wearing these clothes or if the guys aren't, you know, out like that, you know, they're, they're, it's triggered when you're younger and it's happening, which could be an excuse. But today, if you say that, it's like, well, I still have my rights and I can do whatever I want. Right. So how do you feel about so many different conflicting directions that you can go for any subject matter? It is because, I mean, even if you go all the way back to uh, the Bible times, at each uh, particular time when there were things going on, there was always one voice. You know, you had your Josephs, your Moses, Abrahams, Davis, and then, you know, of course, the New Testament, there was Jesus. Then you had Apostle Paul. So, I mean... Uh, in this day and time, there are so many avenues for people seemingly, and I, and that's another thing. I really, I legitimately think that it comes from a place of hurt to where people are scared to speak up for themselves, but if they find something that, oh, that's kind of like what I went through, so I'm going to, you know, voice my opinion, not really voicing it, but they're letting somebody else speak for them, and I think that's one of the main issues because there's not one voice, and I'm not sure if it's because of the fear, because whenever there was one voice and you were speaking against norms, 
typically bad things happen to that person. You can look at your Martin exactly. Kings, your your Malcolm X's, and your Marcus Garvey's, and everything of that nature. So I don't know if it's a fear aspect, but uh, there is something definitely sinister at work, I believe, um, and not, not necessarily in the physical realm, but in the spiritual realm that is that is invoking a fear of one person stepping stepping out and standing out saying that, you know, again, like I, like I stated, enough is enough and this is not right. Uh, I grew up going to your fact of, you know, uh, there was once a clear-cut argument of boys should look like this and girls should look like that. I uh, went to Bob Jones uh, when they, of course, they have the elementary schools as well as the university, but I went there first to seventh grade. And, you know, boys couldn't wear their hair. Of course, me being an African-American male, my hair wasn't long anyway. But uh, the Caucasians that, you know, mostly made up that school, boys couldn't wear their hair past their ears. Uh, Girls had to solely be in dresses. So now that I see that times are changing and people are, you know, saying that they have their own rights, I don't think it's anything that has to be a clear cut as to say boys should look like this, girls should look like that. But I do think what's missing is the voice just – that stands up and saying, hey, this is wrong, not just according to what I believe, but uh, and this time I, I just genuinely think that we need a good voice, not anything voicing religion or Christianity um, itself, but as far as being a believer, as far as, in my opinion, what Jesus stated and what the apostles said, because a lot of times uh, Christian and, religi- and re- the religion has been so indoctrinated with what people think but it's not with real truth. And so when there's a voice that is speaking real truth, I just believe that change has to take place. But, again, something more sinister, I believe, in the spiritual realm is invoking a fear that say, that's saying if I speak up, then something bad is going to happen to me or to my family or to whatever. Because, again, when there has been just one voice, even going back to the Bible days, typically it doesn't, it doesn't end well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, Xavier, let me ask you this. You mentioned that when you were, you know, you were young, you experienced some abuse, but you never stopped believing in God. But up up to the point in time before you had, as you said, you know, uh, God spoke to you, you believe God spoke to you. Did you go through a period of time where you were angry at God? Even you said you still believe in God, but did you get angry because of some of the things that you were experiencing? Oh, definitely. Um, <clears throat> of course, when I when I went through the sexual abuse, uh, you know, I mean, just me being, I'm a very transparent guy. Um, I was addicted to pornography for a long time. Uh, uh, and, you know, going through that time, I was actually, I was still in the house with my mom, so I, I couldn't stop going to church. But um, I was 17 when she passed, so in society's eyes, I was a couple months or a year away from being a grown man. Of course, uh, <laughs> I don't think your person is grown until, you know, certain experiences. But uh, in society's eyes, I was grown. So at that point, I had a choice to stop going. And I did stop going for a long time because I was definitely um, upset. Uh, I'll never forget uh, what people call the, the spirit of prophecy or whatever. It was right around the time when my mother first got sick. And there was a preacher who came and told her that, you know, she was going to be healed and she was going to touch you know, thousands of different people, uh, you know, through her ministry or whatever. And then I look up and, you know, two years later, you know, my mom was gone, literally. And so I'm thinking to myself, all of this kind of goes back to what I said, that people, you know, indoctrinating and religion has been so uh, misconstrued as far, uh, as far as with what real truth is. You know, you just got a lot of people doing it for whatever the reason that, that they're doing it. 
and here it is that my family's suffering. Uh, my mom passed, and I'm, in, I'm a senior in high school, and she always said the only thing that she ever wanted to see me do was graduate, uh, graduate high school and go off to college and do different things, and she never got to see that. And so, oh, yes, there was definitely a time when I, well, a period when I stopped going to church. I, I didn't want to have anything to do or hear anything about God or Jesus or whatever, but um, the reason why I know, because in, in this generation, you know, there's a lot of questions as to if Jesus is real, if God is real or whatever, but I know for a fact that he is because he reached, you know, he, he reached and grabbed me at a time when I wasn't even trying to hear anything from him. But, uh, you know, I, that April 29th of 2014, you know, it changed my life forever, and I wasn't even searching for him, but just the fact that he was looking for me for whatever reason that, you know, whatever purpose that he wants me to serve in this life, that's how I know that, uh, you know, he is real and, and he, he would definitely reach out and grab you, you know, uh, even while you're going through whatever it is that you're going through. Mm, would you say a lot of people um, have had experiences like that and a lot of times they're at their lowest point. Was that for you on that April, would you say April 29th, was that your lowest point? It was my lowest point um, because right after I graduated, I did, uh, graduate high school in 2012, uh, and right after that, uh, my, she's not my wife. She wasn't my wife then, but uh, my wife now, we actually, uh, she got pregnant with my son, my oldest son. He'll be six in March. Um, and so, you know, here it is. I'm going through that, but I, now I'm scared because I have a life that's literally coming, and I feel like at that point I'm not even um, at a point to raise him. And at that point, April 29, 2014, he had just turned uh, one years old. And one year old, uh, and so we're still not married. Um, you know, many people in my family kind of shunned me based on that because uh, they felt that I had a bright future as far as college goes, but they didn't really see me hurting. You know, uh, and so I, I'm, I'm very at a, I'm at a lowest point. I'm really not caring about my life, and I just remember that night I'm, I'm crying. A song came on on Pandora, and I wasn't even listening to a, a gospel radio station, but a gospel song came on for some strange reason, and you know, I just started to cry, and I and I heard him say to me that you know, if you follow me, there's a pain, there's there's purpose in every pain that you've gone through, but there's also pain in your purpose. And so, uh, ever since that day, I'm like, man, I, I really see why he allowed me to go through some of the things that he allowed me to go through. Uh, but yeah, that was definitely my lowest point in life. Yes, sir. Mm. From a biblical standpoint, Xavier uh, in the Bible, uh, he mentioned there's a point where he's like, God, why hast thou, thou um, forsaken me? And what does that right. mean to you? Uh, what that means, even when Jesus said that, uh, I think even though he was all God, um, I think at the same point, he, he, in, the, in the reality that he was in, he was still all man at the same time. So, what that means to me as uh, what that means to me, even when you when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, "Remove this cup from me, if it be." But he ended up saying, "Not my will, but let your will be done." I think that's the part that we miss a lot of times. That you know, when we're going through or when we're afraid or we're when we're hurting, that even though we're saying that I don't want to go through this, but at the same time, Jesus still had the wherewithal, even in his even in his uh, his physical man part of himself because he had to go through that reality. He still said, not my will, but let your will be done. So a lot of times we miss it because we, ca we get caught up in the pains that we go through uh, 
uh, that we that we're having to endure, or the fear of the pain that we're having to endure based on certain situations, um, that we don't allow Him to lead us. We kind of run into roadblocks ourselves because we try to play God in our own life, but instead of letting the Holy Spirit or letting God lead us in certain areas. And so that's another reason why so many people get stuck in that cycle of pain because we try to get out of it ourselves or we try to look for um, other means to do certain things when God is really just trying to get our attention and say, let me lead you so I can show you the reason as to why you're going through this so that can be so you can birth your purpose. Yeah, God, uh, you would say that they have a, uh, the creator has a lot of patience, wouldn't you say? I definitely, definitely do. <laughs> To create uh, a, a creature, uh, a, cre- a creation, excuse me, that uh, that has the option to to totally disregard you and you know go about this life uh, like he doesn't exist. And you know some people they I don't some people legitimately believe that he doesn't exist. But I uh, you know I think that comes from another source of pain as well. But he definitely has uh, a great deal of patience. <laughs> <laughs> How long, once you had that experience, how long was it after that that you got the idea that you wanted to uh, to write a book? Um, that was April 29, 2014. I, I originally wrote my book um, in, between October and December of 2015. Um, it didn't get published until 2018, um, but I originally wrote it, so it was... It was about it was almost two years, um, almost two years, uh, when I said you know that I just wanted to write down some things. At the time, I didn't even know it was a book. I was really just kind of expressing my feelings. Um, and then one night, I never forget it. It was in right around October. I had just left a uh, a banking job because I was I was going from job to job, trying to figure out what my purpose was. And every job that I was trying to get that I thought was going to be good, I just I was like, no, this is not it. So I had just left it, and one night around 3 a.m., I saw an advertising commercial for Christian Faith Publishing, which is uh, the publishing company that my book is through. And, you know, something told me to just, hey, try to send it in, and I had no idea that it was going to get accepted because my book is legitimately only 35 to 40 pages long, you know, once you put it in book form. And even the lady at the publishing company, she was like, yeah, I don't think this is going to get accepted because we don't usually accept things that are this small, but when she sent it to the editors and they accepted it, then I knew then that, yeah, you know, God had a, a purpose for me writing that, and, you know, he, he allowed it to be accepted. So uh, it was about a year and a half, almost two years. Okay. Yeah, as they say, there's no accident. And so, Not at all. Uh, Not at all. Yeah, ha- happens when it's supposed to. Let me ask yeah. you, are you familiar with uh, Hus- uh, Hassan Campbell? I'm not. I'm not. I've never heard okay. that name. So Hassan Campbell is uh, he's he has a growing YouTube channel, and he was actually molested by Afka Bambata. Okay. And so Afka Bambata, for those that don't know, you know he's one of the fathers of hip hop. Yes, and, sir. You know he's he's on this pillar, you know, and here he's molesting little boys. And so he's wow. a grown man. He's married. He has uh, some children. He has a YouTube channel that's pretty popular. Uh, I want to say 80,000, 90,000 subscribers now. But wow. his, his role is to you know, tell the young kids that they don't go through the same circumstances he did. And so he had gone to jail you know, and some of these other things. And, and he was around these entertainers where they took advantage of him. So I'd I like to ask you... Um, 
are there certain signs that uh, we can be aware of when we're talking to our 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 you know the little boys in the neighborhood from you know family or just the little you know the little kid in, around the block that you can right. see that something's wrong because you know one day this person's smiling and then that you know now they're closed off but uh, are there certain signs or things that people can be aware of? Right. You know, uh, even in my job, you know, we, we caseworkers, and sometimes, you know, they ask us questions because, you know, there may be accusations and they ask us, do we see anything? Um, it really just depends. Um, I know with myself, uh, my sexual abuse, you know, it lasted for two and a half, almost three years before I even said anything and nobody uh, ever would have thought. You know, even when it came out, there was a lot of people, no, that and that didn't happen, but, you know, it, it did. Um, um, so it, as far as signs go, I mean, it, it differs from person to person. You know, I know uh, several several children, sometimes they show signs uh, where they, you know, they get scared when they're around older people, uh, older men, or sometimes even older women, but sometimes a, a little kid may not show any signs, you know, it could just be that they're hiding it so well because they have that fear of, uh, because even with the R. Kelly situation, going back to that, uh, most of his victims, you know, a lot of them are kind of brainwashed, so it's it's, it's very eye-opening to see how some of the predators can brainwash them to make them think that, hey, this is love or this is, you know, whatever the case is, so a lot of times it just it just goes back to having conversations with your children, but always being aware who they are around, but as far as the signs go, it it just depends on you know from person to person. Now, it, okay, thank you for that. And the other side I want to ask is um, if it's opposite sex. So you know the other thing that's been coming out now are guys saying you think it's only been guys taking advantage of of girls. There's been a lot of older women taking advantage of right. boys. And, you know, the stereotype is, yeah, I, I wish my teacher would have done that when I was a little kid. But exactly. under law, they're still going through Same sexual thing. abuse. Right. So is there a differentiation or would do you guys, when you speak with the boys, do are they aware of the differentiation if there is any? Right. Uh, they do. And um, it's funny, when, we first, when I first started here, uh, that conversation was – kind of minute as far as that. You know, I even asked around, you know, how they had that conversation before, and they haven't. I guess the stigma is different with guys because I, for whatever reason, but uh, just as you stated, it's the same exact thing as, you know, with the man taking advantage of the uh, the younger girl. So we do have that conversation to let the boys know, hey, if this is happening, this is wrong, even though in your mind, hey, you know, that could be brownie points with, with your homies at school or whatever the case is, but at the same token, it's still wrong, and that could still cause a cycle of hurt and pain down the line or a cycle of other things that uh, a child shouldn't have to deal with or anybody for that matter. Uh, so, no, in my there is no difference. Um, society has made it think that it is, you know, uh, but it, it really isn't. It's the same exact thing. And you were, this happened to you for, I mean, if you don't, no one wishes this happens to anyone. Um, but it, it, it happened to you for three years, and right. we're here in, in Atlanta. So a couple of years ago, before he transitioned, there you know that big upheaval with Eddie Long, who was who right. had run a church here, and some boys had come out and were talking about sexual abuse. But then you had other boys that were saying, "Well, no, this is a romantic relationship." So it kind of goes into what you're saying with that brainwashing. Right. Or, 
where do you think there was a line in the sand of, hey, this person's ultimately, I mean, ultimately sexually abusing me versus this person really loves me and now I may have changed my sexual orientation because of it? Right, because if, if I'm not mistaken, um, I don't know if all of them, but I know a few of those guys, uh, they didn't have a father in the home. And so mm-hmm. I know for myself, um, I considered uh, my home pastor, which uh, it wasn't my home pastor who, who sexually abused me. It was actually a teenage, a teenager, um, a teenage guy that was that went to the same church as well. But I just remember that I viewed him as kind of like a father figure. So mm-hmm. if I'm viewing a person as a father figure, and they're looking at me to uh, abuse me, uh, then it's easier for them to, uh, to have that relationship with you at first, and to make it and to make you feel comfortable and to be nice and to buy you things of that nature. It's kind of like, uh, you know, even in regular relationships where a guy or a female could attempt to buy a person's love. So, and, but in this regard, I, it's more like they're buying their trust so that they can um, have that open door to do whatever it is that they want with them. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think that even the, the proverbial line, I think the line was crossed when he even had, you know, the option to do these to these teenage boys, um, period. Uh, but, you know, I just think that that's, that's the mind games that they play to make a person who has who's very vulnerable, who may not have a father figure in their life or any other figure in their life to let them know what, genuine love is from another guy or in the females uh the females version coming from a maybe a woman and so uh they trust them and then once they have that open door then honestly sadly they can you know do what they want to do unfortunately so uh that's just why it's important to have that conversation now the other other side of that especially with the internet and youtube is we get access to everything now. So one of the scariest episodes of Different Strokes, I don't know if you've been a, if you've seen oh, it, but yes, you know what I'm talking about, where they yes, where they had that man who at was the bike uh, shop. yeah at the bike shop, yep. and he was going yes, to sir. attempt to mol- and, and he was going to take uh, naked photos, so that's child pornography, and then right. he was also going to sexually abuse him. Now both Arnold had a father, and so did uh, Dudley. He had a father, right. so. Right. You know, I don't want it to say the, a lot of them are just because you don't have a father figure. You can right. still have a father in the picture, and it would happen. That's very true. That's very true. So it's you know that 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 was a very just to even watch it, even though it was a TV show. I'm glad you'd seen it though. Yeah, yeah, I definitely have. Yes, sir. Yeah, I uh, I I, I think I went. Matter of fact, I ran across it on YouTube. Uh, I think somebody shared it on Facebook, but I, I did end up seeing it on YouTube. Yes, sir. Mhm, and it's one of those. Well, your kids are too young, but it's like you know. At what point do you talk to your kids that hey, no, you can't. Uh, going back to the episode, you can't have this bike. And then the guy at the bike shop says, "Well, I'll let you ride it, and here's some candy." And then you know, it's it, there's levels that this happens. It doesn't just that they just attack you potentially, right? It's usually levels where is it safe to do this, and how far can I go? How do, how does what's right. your take I on? Mean, I think. Uh, when, when your child gets to the age of where they can understand words uh, clearly and effectively and they're around people, uh, when they're out of your, this, uh, if, for example, school, you know, my son, he'll be six in March, but he's in K-5, so he goes to school. So, you know, me and my wife, we, we had that conversation, and we still have that conversation. We ask questions, you know, and it's sad because what you don't want to do is 
kind of build walls around your child to make them mistrust people. But at the same token, you you want to make sure that they're safe. So, you know, we always say, hey, don't accept anything from strangers. Um, you know, stay within the realm of an adult. Uh, make sure that nobody is touching you in any regard, you know, if you're in the restroom or things of that nature. So we do have those talks with them. And I, I don't think it's never too early. It just depends on the child if they're, outside of your realm and once they get to a level of understanding words and what exactly that you're, uh, what you're saying to them and once they go to school and they care of that thing, I think is definitely important because um, unfortunately, you know, there have been several times in where it's, it's happened in the daycares and it's happened in school. So uh, you definitely want to make sure that you're having that conversation with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing I'd like to talk about is, what was cool is no longer cool. So this is probably more for my generation, but the younger generation kind of is still getting swept up because uh, I think of ultimately what we're talking about is a lack of communication. Um, so right. this is lack of communication amongst the community, amongst family, and what have you. So a generation ago, it was really cool, even though it was illegal, to partake in, in the uh, activities of a street pharmacist. And so when you look at some of these, like a a DJ Vlad, he has a YouTube channel if you don't know him, and he's interviewing all these drug kingpins that were big in the 80s and 90s, and they've been in jail for like 20, 30 years. And one thing that they kind of hint at, there's a lot of sexual abuse that goes on, and they're not prepared for it. And you had the, a bunch of young people, like you were saying, they may not have the means, and that's the way to actually do it and be cool, to have a gold chain. But you're going to get locked up not only for that crime, but you may also get, also get sexually abused in there. Right. So there's right. a lot of people that aren't talking about the abuse that's happening behind the prison wall either. Exactly. And, you know, it, it's just, I mean, because even, uh, you know, it, it's, thing, it's all things that we know. It's just, especially now, there are so many things that keep us distracted. Just going back, you know, to the original conversation with the Donald Trump things, you know, last week the hot topic was R. Kelly. Now that's kind of been swept around. Everybody's talking about burgers at the White House. So it's just like mm-hmm. we, how quickly we forget because we, I'm pretty sure at least everyone knows of someone or knows them directly that has been in prison and hear the stories that, you know, that those type of things happen. Uh, it's just, I don't know. I'm not sure what. What society, you know, how why are we wired to think the way that we do? Is there so many distractions out there, and we just don't talk about it? We get caught up with the hot story then, and we forget about you know people who are suffering every day. So you're absolutely mm-hmm. correct. Um, one thing I, I do want to take a, a a bit of a turn because I want to get this is rare that we have someone so young. It, it'd be great to kind of talk to you through the years, um, but right, we have you today, so I want to take advantage of that. So. Uh, one thing that we learned in in uh, school, because I, I actually got my master's in early childhood, and so I went to a um, Clark Atlanta, so a historically black college, yes, and sir. we were taught that at fourth grade that through either through the census records or through your report card that, because I'm highlighting on what you're talking about, something going on spiritually, uh, evil spirits happening. Yes, and sir. There's statistics that if these boys that you're dealing with, these quote-unquote troubled kids, if they don't graduate fourth grade, if they're left behind, they are guaranteed not to graduate from high school, and they are guaranteed a cot in the prison system. Yes, sir. 
So if you did, I'm glad you're kind of shaking your head in confirmation that at least you're sharing that message with the younger kids because they may look at me, obviously, but you, like, you're too old and you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah, we, we definitely had that conversation. We, we even, there was an article, and, you know, you can't take everything at, you know, value to know if it's true or not, but even with uh, things such as Adderall, you know, giving them the ADHD medication, um, and, you know, once they stop um, taking it, because sometimes even that when they age out of the system or even if they go back home and it may, medicine may not be, a, you know, a proper or, or, or it might not be a priority, should I say, uh, that they don't know how to function. And so they do things when they're, you know, out or with their friends or whatever that gets them, you know, ultimately locked up. So, I mean, even the, the link between medication and, you know, a cot in jail and even the statistics of where they are based on community or, like you said, the quote-unquote troubled kids, uh, you know, if they don't do certain things that automatically lands them um, uh, a cot in jail or in prison, yeah, we have those conversations quite a bit. And so we try to, what we try to do is incorporate, uh, for one, a group every night to let them know, of course, about Jesus and God because wild work is actually a ministry as well. Um, mm -hmm. Because just as you stated, you know, there's something I believe is more sinister at work going on, and I think you know what what's at work is really coming after this generation because uh, of the different things that biblical prophecy that's going on, and as well, this generation, if there was one voice going back to that one voice that could plant those seeds and that can tell them, hey, this is this is not necessarily the right way to go. Uh, this is the right way, this is wrong, uh, a clear, decisive on what's right and what's wrong and what's good and what's not so good. Uh, this generation could really turn the world upside down because this is really the strongest generation when you're talking about technology and how it doubles and triples almost every other day or almost every day. So, uh, yeah, there, there's definitely something more sinister at work, and, you know, there just has to be that voice. Or right now, while there is no voice, there has to be some voices that's kind of echoing what's really going on in, in the world at today. One thing you were talking about was technology, and, and you're, uh, I wholeheartedly agree with you. I uh, just want to put one bug in your ear that you might want to share with the groups too, is that there are a lot of, uh, a portion of the global population that is getting college grants and scholarships for being African American. Right. And what that means is that they are from Africa, and they're living in America, and they're right. South African, so they're actually, if they lived in the United States, they would be considered Caucasian. And wow. so, yeah, and you're just learning. I'm just saying that because there's ways that, there's always ways to get funding and uh, to, get, to go to school. Because I think right. if people have the opportunity, they would do it, but they may feel it's too expensive, and so I can't do it. And so with these kids, I definitely wish I had greater access to the technology that you guys t or these guys take advantage, can take advantage of. Uh, I'm currently working with – I'm in the Big Brother Big Sister program. Oh. So I'm working with my little on that. And just the access that the guys have, as long as they can do their Googles, you know, they're doing it for the videos and, and maybe, uh, what is that, uh, World Star, they can spend <laughs> some more time, right? It balance. Definitely. Balance. Definitely. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I, I definitely, as a matter of fact, uh, once we once we uh, wrap up dinner and everything tonight, I definitely that'll be something that, that we share in the group tonight about, you know, learning how to 
get Google scholarships and different things that, that, that they have at their fingertips that they may not know about. So definitely thank you for that. Absolutely, absolutely. We pass it on, that's all. So yes, that they would do the same thing. Let's do, like you're saying, you're, you're, uh, you're, tra- you're transforming that pain, and so we're talking breaking cycles. So right. uh, you're breaking cycles so that you, so your underlings won't experience the abuse you did. You're working with the boys shelter so they won't experience abuse, and you're hoping that transcends to the next and continues with the next generation. Yes, sir. So we haven't posted it yet, but we just had a podcast with a one percenter. And so are you familiar with one percenters? I am, yes, sir. Okay. And so what his, our major takeaway from that interview was generational wealth. And so wow. that you're able to pass that on and continue for generations. The way the guy was talking, it wasn't, he wasn't really bothered with the current political climate and such. It's like, we can withstand that. Our, we've done it generationally. And that needs right. to be a conversation in our community. Right. Definitely. I do want to ask you another question. I want to ask you about, um, I think it was the movie Do the Right Thing. And in the movie, uh, they had the guy who was playing the Radio Rahim, and he had two rings on. You remember this, Radio Rahim? Yes. Okay. Yes, sir. So he, he, had, he, had, he had two rings, right? He had love and then he had hate, right? Uh-huh. And so for, for boys, for a long time, like, love is like, you know, you, mom, don't kiss me anymore and things like that. But right. then also in the uh, urban communities, it's more of that's a sign of weakness. Right. So, or, it's, um, yeah, it's a weakness or you're not uh, masculine enough. And how is there any ways that, that you guys even approach the subject of uh, love versus hate? Because in my experience, my experience, the violence comes where they feel they're not loved, right? So nobody right. loves me. I can do whatever I want. Exactly. Uh, I just want to get your take on that. Definitely, uh, it is, and I, I, I try to be uh, as transparent as possible. Um, I believe I'm a believer in transparency. Sometimes reduces your recklessness. Uh, I, I firm believer in that, um, and I try to approach it, you know, from my son's point of view. Even going back to myself, even still dealing with the cycle because uh, growing up in a single mother home, uh, she had to be the mother, and she also had to be the father. So whenever I, because I had the, uh, the, the the mantra of a crybaby growing up, that's what everybody used to call me. And so I was told that, you know, when you cried or when I showed my emotion, hey, you're acting like a girl. And so mm-hmm. when I grew up, as I'm growing up, you know, I always thought, if I cry, I'm acting like a girl. So that ended up causing me to have uh, different issues with knowing how to express my emotion or express how I feel. And I had anger issues because I thought, I got to keep it in. So when all that things, when all those things bubbled up, it would just explode and it would come out as an anger. So, I mean, just with that, you know, just showing love, I, you know, I try to use that example with my son as well because he kind of had the same thing. And so, you know, I talk with my wife a lot of times about, you know, versus us telling him that, you know, boys don't cry. I mean, that's to, to me, that's ludicrous. Uh, you know, as if a man can express his emotion, that makes him that much greater of a man in my eyes. But, uh, you know, <clears throat> showing love versus hate, I think a lot of the hate comes from um, undealt with uh, emotion, um, not knowing how to express, even if you're disagreeing with someone or if you don't like what a person does, doesn't mean that you necessarily have to hate them. You have to love yourself and even love other people 
uh, well enough to say, hey, I disagree with you, so let's talk it out. Let's figure out why we, uh, you know, disagree. doesn't mean we have to be the best of friends, but at the same token, you showing your emotion, even if it's through tears or, or whatever the case is, that does not make you, you know, less of a man, especially as you stay in the urban community. But, you know, worldwide, it, that doesn't make you less of a man when you're showing love or you're showing your emotion, at, period. Mm-hmm. I have a friend, I'm not going to shout out her name, but I want to share it with you. So uh, this guy probably didn't have that balance, and he lost mm-hmm. her. Uh, she was used to holding hands in public and things like that, and right. he wasn't used to showing love publicly, and he ultimately wound up losing his girl because of it. <laughs> so, wow. yeah. you know, it's one of those, I'm too cool to hold my girl's hand in public that younger kids right. think about. And then they may be crying and not meaning to. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, you know, this is something that we we just have to share. We have to, I think, rally, uh, not just in the community. It's definitely important in the community, Uh, uh, you know, to be that change. We have to be it. But, you know, worldwide, we just have to rally around. I don't know what it's going to take or how we're going to do it, but we got to rally around this generation into teach them the things, not necessarily give them the things that we didn't have, but teach them what we didn't know or teach them what, what was that wasn't taught to us. So, yeah, that's that's one of my goals. So that's why I'm just trying to uh, slowly but surely even, you know, figuring out what my purpose is past this point in my life just to help, the, you know, one person at a time. You know, if one person can be affected by anything that I can say, you know, that that makes it all worthwhile. Absolutely. Let me mm-hmm. let me ask you a, a good addiction question. Okay. So usually when someone writes a book, they get addicted to, wow, that was really good. I actually did it. Uh, do you have the addiction bug, and are you going to write some additional books? <laughs> I, I am. Um, my next one that I, I actually just kind of cracked the can on is, uh, you know, how to be – it's not the title of it, but it's just the basis of the book of, you know, how to be a good father – without having a good father. You know, that's kind of where I'm going with that. So I think I have it. Um, you know, I, I think I just like expressing, because uh, I've had a good um, a good response to my uh, to my book from people that I know and some people that I don't even know. So that, that just makes it all worthwhile uh, to know that, you know, people are actually reading this and they're getting a good re- giving a good response to it. So, um, yeah, I think I am. I have two or three in mind that I want to, hopefully do within the next couple of years. <laughs> nice, nice. I will say, we said this with the last guest, uh, they were on the on the fence as far as creating an audio version of the book. And I am one of the audio files, and I'm sure people listen to this, right, while they're in the car. So right. please keep, in, keep us in mind when those come out to have an audio version as well. Most definitely. Yes, sir. <laughs> Dad, I, I keep hearing you chopping out the beat bit over there. Oh, you, you know, how is it? You, you were thinking my thoughts. I, I, you, the question that you just asked him was the one I was going to ask. Did he have any more books? Did he get the writing bug? And then did he have any more plans for books? So, <laughs> yeah, that's what I ask. Yeah. Sure. And, and the other, I, one last thing, because we're almost at the top of the hour. I do want to ask you when um, feelings of hopelessness, you know, I think everyone during their lives, maybe multiple times, may go through it. But when you're speaking to someone that's going through it, they may brush you off as you don't understand my pain or my hopelessness is different from yours. 
Right. How would you address someone that would come with you, come to you with that type of output outlook? Um, I, I guess my approach is a little different. Uh, just knowing that you know, I've had multiple feelings of feeling hopeless, and, and really at that moment when you're at really the height of feeling that way, there's really nothing anyone can say that can make you feel better. But there is something that people can do that lets them know, and it kind of garners that trust with them so when they do feel that way, they can open up, and that's just to let them know that you love them and let them know that you are there and not just saying it but showing it even after the fact, you know, checking on them when they're not feeling hopeless and they're having a great day, just, you know, saying, hey, I love you or I'm just checking on you. I hope that you're doing good or whatever it is that they're going through. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just big on showing love because I just I just strongly believe that love can overcome anything um, as long as a person feels that, you know, feels that they are loved and that you're uh, checking on them and letting them know that I'm here for you. If you need, you know, just a shoulder to cry on or someone to vent to, I'm here for you. Mm-hmm. And I, I do want to... Uh when you're saying that some a lot of stuff resonated with me because you know today's my uh, one of my sister's birthday and uh she had transitioned February or April will be 3 years and wow. you think that they're always going to be around and you know she's not so you know yeah. uh, as the popular saying is today send them the roses while they can still smell them yes sir and I'd like to give you a, a a salutations for your mom as well yes sir same same to you sir I, Sorry to hear that. Salutations to you as well. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are at the top of the hour, and I, I really enjoyed it. Hopefully we can have you back. And Certainly. I'd like for you to talk about that's, – that's good. Great, great. And we didn't scare you off, and you got to your first one uh, pain-free, so that was pain good. Pain-free. Yes, sir. Yeah. I'm a fan. I actually – I was listening to uh, one of your podcasts, one of you guys' podcasts this morning about, uh, you know, sex and marriage and things of that nature, what the Bible says about it. So I'm a fan. So, you know, I definitely will be tuning in and listening to you guys. Yeah. And we we promise not to serve you cold fries either. No cold fries. Great. Hey, that, that, I'm going I'm to I'm keep it for sure then, as long as there's no cold fries. <laughs> <laughs> so one last time, Xavier, if you could – uh, give us the title of your book, where they can find your book, and how they can get in touch with you if they want to know more information, or maybe they want to. They're thinking of they're on the fence of being a part of uh, giving back to the community, and they want to reach their boy shelter. Uh, what's a good way to get in touch with you and, and connect with you as a resource? Certainly, um, uh, the name of my book is "There Is Purpose in Pain and There Is Pain in Purpose." Um, it's available on all media outlets through Barnes & Noble, Amazon. Again, my name is Xavier Jones. Uh, you can purchase it through iBooks um, as well as any other digital uh, outlet as well. Uh, you can reach me. The best way to reach me um, I, uh, is through email. Um, I'm, I'm, I am on Facebook, so you can also Facebook me, Xavier Jones. Um, uh, there's not too many people with that name, so <laughs> I will be easy to find. Um, my email is x as in X-Ray Jones at MiracleHill.org. Um, that is my business email, so I'm always checking that when it comes right to my phone. Or you can Facebook me again, Xavier Jones. Um, so, yeah, if you guys have any questions for me, definitely feel free to reach out to me, and I'll do my best to answer them back. Fantastic. 
Well, you have just been in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza. And I am David. Xavier, it was definitely a pleasure. Let's stay in touch, man. Yes, sir. Pleasure's all mine. I would love that. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, thanks for being with us. Yes, sir. Yes. Thank you. Listen to Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective on Radio Public. It's a free, easy-to-use app that helps listeners like you find and support shows like ours. When you listen to our show on Radio Public, we receive direct financial support every time you hear an episode. Experience our show and Radio Public today by listening to the show link in our episode notes, and thank you for listening.